freedom and censorship can't exist in the same world. And that's true whether it's the government or private corporations who do the censoring. Hi, I'm Ron Coleman, and welcome to the Coleman Nation podcast. It's a show where I sit down with guests to discuss the future of free expression and thought in our interconnected world. Here, we will focus on issues involving social media, cancel culture, and free expression that everybody who cares about ideas or freedom should be wrestling with. I want to introduce to you the one and only Billy Sears, Will Chamberlain, of course, my, my, my good friend. We are a part of the international, the, the, the vast right-wing conspiracy, of course. Right. And uh, Will, anything interesting going on in your life these days? Yeah, uh, well, uh, getting married in a month. Um, that's, you know, there's other interesting stuff that will be disclosed at a later date publicly, but the, the first, the thing that is public right now is I'm getting married at the end of August. And that's um, why it was a tremendous of us getting, getting a piece of will for this week, because <laughs> even though, even though we didn't, we thought we had him and then we kind of lost him last week uh, in connection with that super secret announcement. Um, nonetheless, we, um, yeah, we don't know. Um, we don't. He, we, he's not going to. He's not going to be able to come out for you know poker night and bowling night the way we used to do all the time. <laughs> and you know, uh, well, that's not true. I, I had my bachelor party this uh, about two weekends ago in Vegas. Three weekends ago, we went, saw the McGregor fight, played some poker like the good old days. I used to play for a living. That's one thing we could talk about later. But that's you know the vast you know the, the past history of Will Chamberlain playing poker for a living was a real thing. Um, you played poker, really? Yeah. Oh, that explains so much. That explains everything. Right. And that's yeah. Okay, I get it. You're you're one, you're that kind of guy. Yeah. I mean that that's you know it starts that started the libertarianism thing at least because you know when you're 18 and making enough money to make a living you're like that like doing it in this thing that people want to ban. They're sort of like, okay, get out of my way. I just want to do it. Let me do my thing. I'm good at this. Let me. Make well, that's what I thought when I was doing um, uh, moonshining. Also, you know, <laughs> yes. eluding those revenuers down in um, Duke County, um, you know, with my my brother. Uh, right. So we there's a it's a crazy news week, but we're living in a time of crazy news weeks. That's mm -hmm. the you like there's everything that happens now is stuff that never happened before and that you would never think would happen in America. Right. So today yeah. we had this, this, this uniparty hearing in Washington in which the Politburo presented the official narrative of the January 6th insurrection. Highlights, Will? Did you get, get a chance to watch any of it? Anything uh, I watched you? like only clips. I mean, I couldn't watch the whole thing. That would be excruciatingly painful. And there's nothing really interesting in terms of like, wow, I can really provide a powerful legal insight here as to what's happening. No, it's just, it's literally just grandstanding. It's, it's just theater, yeah. I think I have, I mean, there are two basic problems with the hearing among many others. I think one is the attempt to distinguish January 6th from everything else. I mean, uh, little Adam Kinzinger tried desperately to say, well, this is this is different because, you know, it's not about breaking the law. These people lost respect for the rule of law. And so, okay, so this is, you know, the dramatic thing. And it's like, okay, but there were Antifa protesters chanting all cops are bastards, like all those different things in the rioting that happened in over the summer uh, right. and throwing throwing Molotov cocktails at, at, and trying to burn down federal courthouses, do those people respect the rule of law? Is it is that merely civil disobedience? Oh, I'm breaking the law, but I respect <laughs> the overall court court system. No, it's not. That's a facile distinction. As our as is almost every attempt to distinguish the riot on January 6th from the riots that occurred throughout um, the summer. And I think the the most and so that's a really galling thing where you have just the government trying you see, know, look ahead. at these guys in this in this screen she gave this antifa over the summer you can tell that they have an, an abiding respect for the law and what's right. going on here yeah no that, that's that's but, clearly deep respect for the rule of law you know that that yeah. protest that sent the president into the bunker 
where he was mocked for going into the bunker because he was on like they're like we don't know i mean they're they're literally trying to you know get over they're, they're, they're really doing a lot of damage to lafayette park and there are a lot of people um so so i hate all these distinctions so that's point one it's just facile to distinct try and distinguish the riots from what happened in the past and then second it's just watching these people be so indignant about something that victimized them right like they were the people who were scared when they were completely indifferent to the riots that victimized ordinary people that victimized ordinary businesses that victimized the president that victimized republicans and to see them suddenly like oh god this i'm in tears this is the worst thing that's ever happened it's like you you're, you're embarrassing yourselves and you're you're demonstrating that you think you you think you just matter more that you're the most important people in the room and, and so i don't agree and, and of course, we I mean, we've seen this before, right? I mean, the January, the 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 second impeachment, I mean, the first impeachment was, of course, grandstanding and it, it was preposterous. But the second impeachment, the one that even Justice Roberts couldn't bring himself to show up for, to preside over, um, was a was a complete clown show. Do you think it's there's any chance that this stuff is becoming less convincing to the people in this country who are left who haven't already chosen sides? I think so. I think this is only for partisans. I don't think there's like any independents who could care less about this stuff at all. I mean, if you're, you have to be a committed partisan to really care at this point, because um, if you're just kind of low attention, I mean, I, I actually, you know, when I, I was playing poker in Vegas and, and somebody said something I, I thought, you know, that I thought was really poignant and sort of explains where a decent chunk of the independent nonpartisan people are. He said to me, he was like, you know, I really don't like Biden very much, but I just was really tired of listening to Trump, you know? And I, and I sort of like get that, you know, okay, so you're not a Trump person, I get that. But that type of person has no time for all this crap, like doesn't care, whatever. He was just exhausted of listening to Donald Trump talk about coronavirus, like, okay understandable. I was kind of tired of listening to Donald Trump comments about coronavirus. I don't think he, he was particularly effective in that particular. Instance. No, no, he didn't exactly cover himself with glory in that particular category. I would, I would certainly agree there. Right. So, but they're, they're not going to care about this. This is totally inside baseball, DC, con, you know, like just Congress indulging themselves in victimhood. It's like so many, the indulgence in victimhood, that's something that happens throughout the country now where people are told to share their stories and we're supposed to validate lived experiences nonstop. It's like this is like a giant therapy session for Congress as opposed to actually like a hearing designed to investigate anything. But let me, let me suggest that it might, might've been also something else, which is that they were generating sound bites. They were generating content. Because if you're going to steadily um, eliminate counter narrative information from being broadcast or uploaded, which is what's happening. And of course, we're going to be there talking about that soon enough. You're also going to need to fill that space up with new stuff. And what we used to call when I was in radio, uh, actu actualities, you know, real, real video or real recordings of real people if there are real people left saying real say, saying things in their own voices rather than you know just having official spokespeople say them is first of all it has the, it still has the capacity to mislead you know if 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 you get capitol policemen up there to start weeping it's much more compelling than if you say the capitol policemen were really upset you're putting it in and the second thing is, it is a little bit more, it's more of an entertaining thing and an entertainment thing. And, and even though you're saying, you know, those who are not really partisans don't really have patience for this, it's, it's that much more being drummed into their heads in the airport yeah. and in the barbershop. I guess, I mean, one, you know, perhaps, I don't know. I, I, I don't think it will be that effective. Um, I think, I, I mean, just the amount of contempt that people have for Liz Kinsinger and Adam and Liz, sorry, and Liz Kinsinger, that actually works very well. We should just use that. Liz and Liz and Adam Cheney, uh, that the two of them, like no one, I don't know. They're, they're just, they're so over the top, like the crying today, the tearing up. 
I, I mean, these people are just children. They're just children. This is. Uh, uh, but you're, but I think you're also getting to something else. And this is something that already Coleman Nation podcast fans have are familiar with, which is that if we're talking about a phenomenon nationwide, and I think we are, where masculine virtues are belittled and men and women are both feminized. Right. And emotion is even your, even your, you know, regular guy, you know, example, your, who says, gosh, I'm so tired. I'm so emotionally exhausted is what we were saying of, of Donald Trump. If we're all turning into a bunch of girly men, emotion is going to be what we're going to sell, right? So we do these, you know, mass demonstrations of kneeling in the Capitol Rotunda, like all, all this play acting stuff and all this, you know, and the tears. That's, if that's the new politics in America, where we, how do conservatives answer that? I mean, I, I think, I guess I'd resist the premise a little bit. I think, I hope you so. know, yeah, like, I think, I, I think that that's, you know, not, I think that's not the core of it. And, and I, for example, if you say like, is it just unreasonable to be like, is that like emotive of the guy to be like, I'm just had enough of listening to Donald Trump. It's like, oh, you mean that guy, that yeah, example in particular. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Like, so, I mean, to me, that's like, not, that's not really, I guess it's a little bit emotive, but it's like, I could see, you know, politics when you're not somebody who's highly invested in politics, it really is like, if one side annoys you, <laughs> then you're going to vote for the other guy. Like, I think that's actually a very good explanation of one of the reasons people couldn't stand Hillary Clinton and vote for her. Like, she's just incredible. Of everything else, she's incredibly annoying uh, to listen to. And I think Kamala Harris will have the same exact problem. She is incredibly annoying to listen to. Um, all right. So if it's so, the annoy, so if it's the annoyance factor, if we're going to say that that yeah, let's all right. So let's not include that guy. Yeah. Let, okay. So, but let's include nonetheless. My, let's go back to my broader proposition, which is that we have really reduced the intellectual content of discourse and switched it out for a highly emotional sort of content with car rants and these sort of demonstrations where people roll around on the floor, on the ground. Like there's, and, and also shutting, you know, censorship. I'm not, I'm not listening to you. I'm not going to hear you anymore. Is there a conservative, you're going to have to accept my premise that that's going sure, on. Sure, 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 sure. And I think that's true. Yeah. So, so, so I think that is the nature of what these Democratic Party, um, you know, demonst political demonstrations are becoming, including the ones on Capitol Hill. What do you think is a concern is the is the approach for conservatives who might only appeal to a certain percentage of women and a, maybe a slightly percentage of larger, slightly larger percentage of men? What's ha, ha, you know, if we're being infantilized as, as a nation, it's not going to do to just say let's grow up because we're not growing up. Sure, but <laughs> I, I I don't think you know. Basically, I think the way to the I mean, perhaps that's right. I think we, we should not indulge in the same kind of stupid stuff that the Democrats do. I think it I think it's ultimately counterproductive. I think they're getting they got away with it in 2020. I think in that sense, Trump was kind of unique in terms of driving so much anti-Trump turnout, right? Like he, he got a lot of people. The Trump is very extraordinarily polarizing, right? Love him or hate him. Like he he brought people out for him that wouldn't have come out for Republicans ever before, but he also brought a lot of people out against him who would have otherwise been indifferent. I think that's to me, that's the nature, that's the nature of Trump. Um and, and as a result, that sort of swamps a lot of the stuff that Democrats are doing that otherwise would be like, wow, that's silly, like, and dumb behavior that is unappealing and unattractive. Like, I don't think that what Democrats are doing now with this constant pity party is actually going to help them. I think they're about to get wiped out in 2022. I think it's going to be a very bad thing because, you know, even though Republicans, you know, they're not doing everything I would like, they're not nearly as tough on censorship as I would like. Um, 
I think the Democrats have the stage that they're just being really annoying, um, that they're, they're being really exhausting and they're being really annoying. And I think the affect, whatever, to the extent that affect impacts people's votes, the affect of Democrats is just totally off right now, totally unpersuasive. Um, and, and, and there's think, a very strong argument along the lines of that already happened. Right. The fact is, you know, I, I would never say YouTube that Trump really won in 2020, but to the extent that there was a much bigger Trump vote than the media would have led you to expect there to have been, uh, a lot of Americans clearly didn't want to didn't want that tone at all. And in fact, I thought you were going to say something a little bit slightly different about Trump, which would have been even more interesting, which was that having Trump as the foil for those kinds of demonstrations arguably made it easier to get away with them because yeah, I, I there's think something that's right childish and demonstrative and emotional. Mm -hmm. I, I think we have to recognize this. A lot of our MAGA friends are emotional about Trump. They're not any more cerebral about Trump than Hillary partisans were about her. Forget Biden, there's nothing cerebral. Sure. No cerebral activity whatsoever involved. But daddy issues, God King, the whole, you know, uh, this whole savior of America, th that's an emotional response also. Yeah, no, I think, I mean, I think there's a lot of that. Uh, there's sort of, you know, I remember I got a huge amount of heat when I said at the end of November 2020, you know, a month when the, the legal suits were starting to go sideways, that I was like, we're not, we, 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 lost, we didn't lose fair and square. Like I, and I don't think we lost fair and square. There's like, I was the guy who filmed the poll watcher not being allowed into uh, the polling place like we you know shenanigans plenty but we we we're not this is not going to get reversed right like biden's gonna be president in two months we need to be like how are we going to deal with that and it's like and i think part of what happened was you had there was a huge investment in people not wanting to tell like basically who are invested in continuing to keep everybody motivated and like just huge amounts of engagement came your way. If you were like, no, he's going to do it. This, this lawsuit's going to be the one. No, this lawsuit's going to be the one. Yes. And I'm just like, yes. no, you know, and, and I, I feel like I remember that time, like just talking to the other lawyers and everybody's like, none of this is going to work. <laughs> like, no, we know what a judge is going to say to all this. Like, it's just not, it's not, it, it's not good enough. No, so much, so much went so wrong and so little was planned so poorly that it was, it was, it was inevitable, but that's not today's topic because sure because it, we'd love we're tired of it we're tired of it <laughs> yeah we're but, tired of it let's talk about there's i think the ultimate thing is like let's talk about what we're going to do when we have power again which we will soon i i'm confident okay. that but, we're but before but before we go there though because all the people say i'm going to now repeat what your gazillion followers and my half a gazillion followers are now all tweeting or saying to each other how could we possibly win in 2022 when all the elections are fixed, not the 2000 election of, and 20 election, of course, when all elections are fixed and all the media doesn't tell anyone anything, anyone going to, uh, oh, you know where I'm going. Right. How do we, how could it possibly be that we would be talk, looking at winning? Uh, because, Softball you question. know, I mean, here's the thing. And I think this is an area where I think a lot of people got, uh, too hung up about immediate fixes in the aftermath of the election. There have been a lot of new election laws passed in Republican states, right? We, you know, it's one thing to say pass an election law with two weeks to go before a re, you know a rerun or whatever. Uh, what's the second one? Uh, what was the Georgia election called? I forget the name. How what you call those things? Uh, but it's like with the audit or the not the audit, but like you know you run a oh, second the, election the after the first one because oh the, the runoffs runoffs right exactly yeah. so you want there was like a whole push for like we need new election laws before the runoffs in two weeks like that's just not going to work there, there's so many things that have to happen if you change election laws that has so many effects downstream that that those things just don't get done in two to three weeks like that's not how our system that's not how any system in our country and, and also the supreme court had really set you know the, the the federal courts in general and the supreme court by refusing to consider what Republicans said was almost certainly going to happen mm -hmm. as a realistic threat, because they said, well, that's speculative. And then when it happened, they said, now it's moot. Okay. Right. Yeah. Speculative to moot. So you don't have an injury. And well, by now the time, well, you're injured now and we can't do anything about it. So, like so, so as 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 
problematic as that is from, from a legal point of view, and it sure is problematic, that's the world we were in through January. And that yeah. wasn't going to change. It just, it, it, it wasn't going to change. But like, we're now talking about like, now all the Republican legislatures who people were yelling at in like November are now, have now, basically most of them have been forced into passing election integrity election uh, legislation. Nobody wants to be on the right side of that um, for good reason. And I think that's a, it's a very good thing. Okay, well, that means that's going to give us the ability, I mean, like, you're not going to, it's going to reduce a lot of the ability to do shenanigans. And I think there's a big distinction I want to make between fraud on the margins versus fraud at the core in elections, right? And this is a very important one, right? Fraud at the core is like rigged voting machines, right? That like, you can completely control the count. None of that I thought happened. I don't think there's, a, there's like, to me, there's like zero evidence that you had any like fraud at the core to the point that the entire election was rigged. What I saw evidence of was plenty of fraud on the margins, which is sort of shenanigans, right? Stuff like kicking poll watchers out at specific individual polling places or like potential mail-in ballot fraud or potential like small things. And that's, it's hard to shift an election with that, um, but it can, uh, it's definitely hurtful. And it's also the kind of thing that can be controlled with proper laws, right? Because it's not, it's not at the core of how the election works, but it's like, where there's loopholes and things, people can get away and nudge some votes in one direction or another. I mean, it was, it was really a fantastic thing to observe how the bad guys figured out you can control an entire state's outcome by controlling just the biggest cities in that mm -hmm. state. And those are, the, those are the districts where you can get away with anything you want to. Mm -hmm. But in fact, as it turns out, those cities in most places don't have enough votes to prevent the repair, you know, the, 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 the right. remedial legislation. Yeah, they don't have that. Um, and also, like, you know, they, people forget this, but for example, like Philly was not, did not go as hard for, for Biden as it did for Hillary in 2016, right? The reason Trump lost in Pennsylvania was not Philly proper, it was the suburbs, right? We didn't, he didn't perform quite as well there. And, and so like when, so people look at these election results and they think, God, the whole thing is rigged, it's terrible. I'm like, no, I think we can still win here. I think there is, you know, we were not very far off. Um, I don't, there's not evidence of fraud at the core that pre preclude us winning period, right? Cause to me that that's such an important difference. If there's fraud on the margins, you can overwhelm that with turnout. You can overwhelm that with being better at politics. Like that's fraud on the margins is hard. Fraud on the margins only impacts a little a small number of votes. Like you can beat that. Um, but and but so I'm, it, I'm not it, as nearly it, as much of a pessimist about future elections um, going forward as some people I think in the movement are. And you should look. Look on the one hand, it's the problem is that the Republicans have been saying we can overwhelm fr marginal fraud mm. to the extent that the margin got so thick that they couldn't overwhelm it in 2020. And it, there's no question that for all practical purposes nothing was done about marginal fraud. And, and I imagine yeah. the feeling was from a, from a real politic point of view, we're not gonna go into Philly. We're not gonna go into these super duper deep blue states and try to clean, like, we're not gonna send the National Guard in there to stand by polling places. It's just politically not gonna happen. It's so hard. I mean, the, the, you know, the funny thing is I think actually you know, the really only threat you can do is public humiliation. That's about it. Because like their normal legal processes are just so inept, so like toothless to deal with like, you know, for example, um, I, I had some intrepid journalist a few weeks back called me about the Philly poll watcher video, right? The one I took and was trying to like poke holes in it. And one question he asked, and we got this at the time too, was why didn't you report it through like the normal channels? And I was like, well, why would I do that when I could publicly humiliate people for violating election law and thus actually impose meaningful costs on things that this should, I don't want your normal process where it's like poll watcher waits outside and three hours later is allowed back into the venue through the normal legal process. I want, you are gonna be publicly humiliated for your shenanigans that should not have happened in the first place. And that will be the discipline we impose for election law violations is like, like we will, we will embarrass you so badly that you won't do this again for fear of similar embarrassment. Like I bet next year, you know, there's not going to be any mistakes in Philadelphia like the one I saw, right? Because they're going to be terrified that there's like a guy with a video camera watching <laughs> and about to put it on put it on Twitter and go have it go viral. Um, well, you know, I, it, the fact is, it was remarkable what they did 
what did happen to Philadelphia, yeah. right? I mean, I w- I'm looking now for, oh, here we are. Where that fantastic uh, video that uh, Corey Lewandowski took mm-hmm. when the woman from uh, the Board of Elections came out. There it is. This is definitely worth because we're definitely not talking about election fraud here, but it's just so irresistible. We are going to move on in a second. But this was I was that's Corey. Mm-hmm. And that's a GOP lawyer asking. We've got she's holding the court order that says let the observers in. Right. And you're talking about public humiliation. That's the woman from the. Uh, this is not the one that Corey took. But this is the one that because Corey's in it, um, but the the woman stood right there. Yeah, and yeah, that's my bald head there. Yeah, I see. I see you there in the background. <laughs> right, um, and let's yes. So, public humiliation doesn't always necessarily get us where we want to get, but. One reason I think you're right, and one reason I think that the, that that they're actually far more scared. One thing I learned in negotiation, I learned this when I took a, a course on negotiation, is that people have a tendency, unless they're experienced or they have a natural sense for how to do this, to be painfully aware of their own limitations, but not those faced by their adversaries. They're intimidated by the obvious advantages that their adversaries have, but they don't, they're not worried the way they ought to be. I mean, they don't appreciate the advantages they have. If the left, if the Democrats are as confident as our friends on Twitter think they should be, they wouldn't be going crazy with pushing, pushing, pushing for more censorship. But they are. So let's start with with this distressing story from this week, PayPal partners with ADL to fight extremism and hate by researching and disrupting payments. Not not researching payments, but disrupting payments, right? So this was all over the place. New partnership to fight extremism with PayPal, working with civil rights and other partner orgs. I didn't really have a chance to to drill down on this. I don't know how different this is from the change of the terms initiative that they've been involved with for the last few years, where they're trying to get all, you know, basically if you are kicked off one social media platform, you're gonna get kicked off all of them. Not merely the cascade that happens incidentally now, but in a more formalized way, um, and also bringing payment platforms and financial services. Um, I think that that is not the kind of thing that people who are confident of their political situation do. But on the other hand, it's bad. It's dangerous. It, it, it under you know it definitely is meant. Uh, first of all, I'm not endorsing extremism, and I'm not endorsing hate, and I'm not saying that we. When I say we, Ron and Will and our friends on Twitter. Um, are the ones that they're aiming at. I don't know that they are, but I do know that there's a certain pattern you can you can uh, identify. And it, you know, I don't think anyone listening to this needs me to explain much more on that point. I, I mean, it's, it's very scary. Um, I think it's one of those basic, the ability to transact, you know, using the internet or using major payment platforms is one of those things that's very scary if it starts getting taken away, even for people we consider odious, right? And, and it's it's something that I think should be protected for everyone. I mean, this is like, it's a way to sort of create this like extra legal punishment for people who think the wrong thing. And I, I just, I, I reject that entirely. Like if these people have committed crimes, prosecute them. If, if there's evidence and the federal, like DOJ is overlooking it, give it to DOJ. But if they haven't committed crimes, stop trying to ruin their lives. Stop trying to get them kicked off of social media platforms because that's a, that's not coherent with a culture of free speech that we should have in this country. Stop trying to kick them off of banks. And the people who do this, 
the people who engage in this type of censorship, I think are beneath contempt. I think in a normal healthy society, ADL would be facing, uh, I mean, we like basically ADL would have a, all of its donors revolt, be like, do not do this, right? This is not what your job is. Because um, what happens if this gets turned on us? I think- How did, how did be, ADL? I mean, how on earth, I mean, look, we know that ADL has been a partisan organization for a very long time and that it has become more and more partisan over the last four, you know, since the retirement of A. Foxman, certainly, and in the, la in the last four or five years more than ever. But the idea that the ADL would be the leading edge of a censorship drive for, is very odd. It's, I think it's it's a massive tragedy. And I think I think Glenn Greenwald's actually done a good job discussing this because the ADL and the ACLU have gone down the same path, right? Um, and both organizations had a tradition. And I, I think what we, as as both, you know, me half Jewish, you Jewish can call Jew, uh, the best of Jewish liberalism, which was this sort of like every, you know, it, you know, basically classical liberal, everyone deserves a right. We want to make sure that everybody is free because if there are any like impositions on freedom of speech, censorship or whatever, we worry that it will be applied to us. And so that's why the ACLU defended the Nazis in Skokie. That maybe is like the best example of, that's in the highest and best traditions of Jewish liberalism to say that these people who hate us, we will defend them because the principle at stake is so important, right? And right. that's just been lost totally. Uh, it's, it's, I mean, it's really depressing. It's depressing and it's, and I guess it's a little, you know, Un, unremarkable for us to to agree about that point. Um, you know, my wife, when I first met her, was um, in the in the uh, legal department at ADL. It was mm -hmm. considered to be a civil rights organization. The focus was on anti-Semitism, but there were, you know, they might have an issue with the First Amendment. For example, she did a lot of analysis, and her group was involved in figuring out what should be the ADL's approach toward hate, um, hate speech laws and hate um, speech codes on campuses, speech codes on campuses. Mm -hmm. That was the hot issue in the, in the late 80s. Uh, I mean, it's still a hot issue in a different way, but they were just beginning to come online. And the thing was that the people, the law department at ADL, they were having internal discussions about we as Jews don't want to see hate speech encouraged and we want to see it discouraged because Jews are always the largest, certainly per capita, but certainly I think may probably even in an absolute sense, the largest number of hate focused violence and verbal, uh, you know, verbal and harassment abuse in the United States. But we are also constitutional lawyers and because they do a lot, they did, they did freedom of religion work in those days. And ADL used to be pro-Jewish at the time. Um, and they worried about the things now, now it's, listen, we'll, there's no such thing as worrying about constitutional damage, even taking them at their word and not ascribing a political agenda to them there's no consideration whatsoever for free speech concerns. It's just, it's right out the window. And that's no, not, I mean, yeah. and that's very, having such, I mean, you don't even hear that people in the, you know, in these, in that world saying things like, well, of course there are free speech issues here. You don't even have that parenthetical that goes yeah. in and it's and I mean the the ADL I guess the ADL the ACLU spoke you know had different basic flaws right to me it's like the ADL went from an organization that could be counted on to stand up when the rights of Jews were infringed um, and when anti anti semitism from either side was being allowed to flourish right or being not called out right you could be, you know that's that's the A Foxman ADL right no 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 one gets to be anti semitic there's no there's no passes. Right, you don't get to do it, and and now the ADL is now gives gives out passes to Ilhan Omar and gives out passes to left wing figures, and it try it is completely focused on finding anti semitism among right wing figures that just is not there. Right, like there if they were solely focused on like the the small coterie of actual anti semites that you could claim as being right wing, whatever, but they're not. They're like trying to paint 
and use anti-Semitism as a weapon to paint a, with a brush across the right, ignore it when it happens on the left. And so now they're just, they're just another left-wing advocacy organization. They're just, you know, like Center for American Progress or Media Matters. It's a joke. Um, and it's depressing because that there actually is, you know, the serious threat for anti-Semitism coming on the left to um, American Jews that is going completely unaddressed by the, the traditional organizations that are supposed to confront it. Um, and it's like, well, I guess we need a we need an organization that is explicitly right wing, which is sad. But like to say that, by the way, uh, it's not okay to that Jews are being beaten up in the streets of New York, um, and just because that's a, you know the people who are doing it are members of the Democrat coalition does not make that all right. Yeah, Bill de Blasio, Bill de Blasio found his his Jewish voice after many years, when the the issue of ice cream raised its head and you know he condemned condemned bds on the on the on behalf of ben and jerry living up in in white vermont there he was very bold but when it comes to anti-jewish violence not a peep on the other hand though to give the aclu it's some credit yeah they did a couple things this week or in the last couple of weeks which yeah, they, they actually said something about free speech. Yeah, my word. So first there was this. It was on July 20th, which I think was Wednesday. No, yeah, today's Wednesday. So after Jen Psaki comes out twice the week before and says, yeah, we're going to be working with, with the social media platforms on disinformation because uh, our partners in, uh, are going to, you know, be working with us and you know the government it's going to be working hand in glove with uh, you know with the white house and what i called on twitter what must have been a number of screaming matches or perhaps it was some very angry calls from certain donors finally on wednesday the aclu comes out with with a tweet i, mean, I guess that was the extent i mean i'm not aware if there was a more formal uh, statement than that, but no matter what party is in power, the government the government cannot be trusted to label truth or fiction any more than Facebook or Twitter can. So first, a knock on Trump to make sure that this gets through the filter. Remember when yeah. then President Trump claimed COVID would just go away without a vaccine? That's yeah. the, wor the worst thing. Remember when Nixon let's go for two Republicans in a row? When Nixon claimed the White House, Republicans in a row, and then a faint towards a Democrat, then right? Bush, and then uh, the government. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's the buffer tweet. <laughs> and then yeah. finally, Obama, and that actually was a very wise choice because Obama is bulletproof. Yeah, so Obama could take the heat, right? Whatever. It, it, it's so it, it is it is so cliche that, you know, to get, the, it, it reminds me a little bit of that New York Times letter written by all the, you know, lefty, you remember the letter written by like Thomas Chatterton Williams and uh, I don't know if Barry Weiss signed it, but like Andrew Sullivan, it was like all the sort of like classical liberals who made sure, basically, I remember this letter, it was the one where they're like, hey, critical race theory is bad and, you know, le this leftism stuff has gone too far. But in the letter itself, it basically conceded the underlying thrust of what the leftists were saying, right? Basically, they're like, we understand that, you know, we have these unbelievably important, impressive concerns about racism in our society and that, you know, God, don't, what Donald Trump has done is just beyond the pale and unacceptable, but we should still allow it to be heterodox on occasion. And it's like the problem with all this stuff is it's like you're conceding the underlying thrust of the leftists argument when you do that, because the leftists are what the leftists are saying is these people are beyond pale and immoral and are you know objectively like your freedom of speech concerns are outweighed by the fundamental immorality that we are confronted with and have to defeat so why do we care and so if you get up as a liberal and you're like we agree about the complete and utter despicable and immoral nature of our adversaries but they started to serve the right of speech it's like how persuasive is that it's not right like it, it's you're conceding the moral thrust of their argument right and, and, instead of saying I, I i'll defend to the death you're right to say it. it's like i'll I'll turn over in my bed if I hear them bludgeoning you to death uh, for saying it. Uh, you know, it's not, it's, it's so not weak. It's just, and it, I remember the ACLU's had this problem. I went to an ACLU, sorry to interrupt you there, but I, I had, I went to an ACLU, like they had a little festival in downtown DC near where I was living at the time. And they had all these booths set up with what they were doing. Um, and, you know, I looked at all of them and I was like, you know, there's no free speech booth here. 
They're, they're, they're proud of every accomplishment, you know, working on behalf of immigrants, same-sex marriage, whatever, but they're not proud of their work on free speech, which is per easily their most important work historically. Historically. Right? And, 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 you know, just before going back to the SCLU, which I, would, I do want to do, you know, I, one of my uh, earlier guests was um, the brilliant uh, Michael Knowles, and he said mm -hmm. it, it's these little, you know, a conservative might well think, well, I'll sign on to this letter and I'll kind of condemn Trump a little bit. That's okay. Like that, that's, it's worth it to get, to be part of this bipartisan or, 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 or I'll condemn racism in general, you know, the historical. And Noel says these little, you know, on his, I pre-ordered this and on, this is on your face the whole time when you talk to Michael Knowles. He puts it up on his has a special little stand. And Will, you don't have a book, but you do have all those books behind you. Yeah, um, no, I need a book that I can just like have like <laughs> just all over here, you know. But Beat your little, opponents, Will Chamberlain. <laughs> I don't know. All of those little concessions, those little tiny concessions, they are a yielding of ground. Every tactical concession amounts to ultimately a strategic loss. Um, but, you know, so you had the ACLU remembering that free speech was part of its job two weeks ago. And then I just in the purpose in the process of preparing for this, because I don't usually hardly prepare at all. But then I said, well, this is Will Chamberlain. I got to do a little bit better. ACLU of New Jersey represented a homeowner who in Roselle Park, up here in New Jersey, up here in Northern New Jersey, Central Northern, was given a citation for obscenity for F Biden signs on, 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 her, on her property. And the ACLU, local chapter, and by the way, the local chapters often are more traditionally, or in other words, they're not necessarily the same as what's going on in Washington. For example, the ADL New Jersey chapter is, has been great on a lot of issues. They're still doing ADL stuff. They're not in DC where people like Will Chamberlain are working their wiles on them, you know, ah. swamp, swamp creatures like you. So, you know, that was a, another nice little break from the, from the overall trend. But um, my point then is that with these, I don't know, I don't know whether these exceptions, I mean, why do you think the ACLU, going back to the, I think the more interesting one, I mean, they actually criticized the White House, the White House. That's really an awesome message. I mean, the message. White House went so far with that. I mean, th that's the thing about that Jen Psaki statement. Like she was just, she was just stating about how government was working hand in hand with private enterprise to censor Americans like and like it was nothing like it was obviously something they should be doing I think I think it was just the the sort of like ease and indifference she showed to to Americans first amendment rights that probably was like a wake up like whoa 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 whoa, whoa. you should be embarrassed you know I, I almost feel there's a little bit of that like there has she to be came, some embarrassment about this sort of thing and she came out the uh, the, the next day and did it again. Like it seems as if an opportunity was being set up for her to climb down. Yeah. But instead, she did it again. And someone said to me, I think it was actually our friend Jack, Jack Nasobic, said, then say to me, he said, I, I, I maybe she just maybe she just wasn't on on you know focusing on what she was doing. She's and I said, you know, Jack, I she seemed to me to be reading from a a carefully prepared statement. I think they that whether the first one or not was 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 intended, the second one was was definitely intended. Were they testing the waters? I mean, and I think that they're, the they're just in a weird place where they think that it's like, you know, the First Amendment just generally and, and these misinformation has been such a buzzword on the left since Trump won that they're, you know, they're all obsessed with it. And they're like, oh, it's good to, to fight misinformation. That's that's something the left thought about doing it. And I just want to be like, no, 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 no. We, we, you've gone totally down the round, wrong track here. What you're doing is completely immoral. In a normal administration, Jen Psaki would have been out of a job, right? Like it is, and, and Biden would have been in public saying, do not worry, America. I will not stand for our government working to censor you, no matter using surreptitious means or whatever. Ms. Psaki uh, is no longer with the administration as a result of her comments. We're just, we're not doing that. That's where right. we respect the First Amendment. Um, 
like, and I actually remember I said when the administration didn't back down on this, I, I was like, that's impeachable. Like, they are indifferent to the First Amendment rights of America. Yes, I saw that tweet. Yes, right. It was a good point. Like, I don't. I think that you you have your obligation. You took an obligation to say I will defend the, the Constitution of the United States, and you are completely indifferent to the part of it that says you're not going to restrict our speech. I'm like, yeah. you're that's impeachable. You you should be gone. Like we we do not have to. We should not be tolerating. Like in a world we actually had the power to impeach the man over it, we should. We should say no. You've said that you're completely indifferent to Americans' First Amendment rights. Well, that means you're not fit for the job. That means you violated your oath of office. And that means we need to replace it. I'll tell you a little secret, too. If, I'm sure you know this. And if you don't know it, you know it. I researched this issue for a brief that we filed on behalf. I'm sorry, not a brief for, for the complaint that we filed um, on behalf of Project Veritas in its lawsuit against CNN mm -hmm. that we filed in Atlanta. And it found its way into the complaint. Misinformation is newspeak. There are two things. Misinf when you are misinformed, you have, by virtue of either some person purposely lying to you or an error, you are under a misapprehension about something. So being misinformed is being misinformed is something that happens to you. There's also something, as you know, called disinformation. Disinformation is propaganda that is disguised as news. It's what we came to know as fake news. Misinformation is something that was coined to make it sound as if people who say things that may or may not be supportable are engaged. It sounds like disinformation. Right. But you're not making as strong an accusation as you would be making by calling somebody a propagandist. Right. And it's and it's and it's actually a very misleading. It's completely part of the language now, but it's it, it is a it's weasel words. It, it, I, it, that, it, I actually like that. That's a good point. And I didn't really think about it, but it is a way to like make, create this sort of nefarious tone around simply saying something that isn't true, whether knowingly or not. Right? That's right. Like, and I mean, I, you know, the fact is like, but you, I guess that's yet another reason to fight this this absolute nonsense. Like somebody says misinformation. Whenever I hear that word, like, oh, I'm in the disinfo or the misinformation space. When I hear one of those people talk about that, I'm like, you should be out of a job, actually. Like what you're doing has no value to society. Uh, you're trying to help people get censored, uh, which is antithetical to our First Amendment. Like you should be out of a job. The person, people paying you should be sued. And, you know, <laughs> like... Like you're just what you're all doing is horrible. Like you're you you are book burners. You are you are what we should you know you should be rejected by society. The same people, people you're trying to get rejected actually you're right. Should have and, and those and and you know an entire generation has forgotten that there's a difference between you know that even though free speech and censorship are the subject of the First Amendment. Even if the First Amendment is not the subject of censorship, it can still be censorship. And that right. it, it's an American value. Free speech is more than just the First Amendment. Right. Right. It's very simple. Like the culture of free speech goes beyond the First Amendment. And here we are. We've engaged in it for the better part of an hour. And I thank you very much. Well, I misinformed apparently our many followers uh, because somehow I think this did not show up as intended on the Twitter. Feeds so anyone who watched, who watched it watched it through YouTube, but it will be there for all time, uh, and because the, I will never be banned from YouTube because I'm down with the revolution, and they know that over at Google. <laughs> right? Yeah. No, I, I would I would never say anything to offend our overlords, um, and if they are offended, I didn't mean it uh, by what I said. No, I'm. You know, well, I, I do course... try very hard to not say things that would get me banned. I try to be very careful. Um, and, and I think that there's something to said for, you know, it is worth trying to be careful. Like, you know, we have to fight the battle on free speech grounds to make it so that people can be not careful. Right. But like, while they are going willing to just ban us willy nilly, you have to be careful. There's no value in getting censored. Well, there's, there's a, well, that's another point, but some, this morning I tweeted something, oh, about how they, they took down all the, um, on Twitter, they took down a whole bunch of Arizona audit accounts. Right. And I made some snarky remark about it. And I got a gazillion replies. Go on to Getter. Go on to Gab. Okay. I've been doing this for a while now. 
I know what the other platforms are. Okay. I'm a, I'm a cloud hub influencer. Okay. I know these things. I didn't ask you where else I could go. I'm on Twitter and I'm still on YouTube and I'm on Facebook. Why? Because that's still where the people are. Right. It's not going to change. And that's why, even though there are going to be other services and they're going to be better, they're going to get better. There are still bona fide issues regarding the restriction of speech on these dominant platforms that are completely integrated into our economic and civic life. Imagine telling somebody being discriminated against during Jim Crow that they should build their own restaurant. Like it's, it, that's, that's absurd. Like it's just not the, you know, we want, I want the right to speak in the public square. Getter is not the public square. Sorry. Gab is not the public square. Twitter and Facebook are. And by the way, if you want to say to me, well, public accommodations, public accommodations is the biggest legal fiction in the world. You drive to a lunch encounter uh, 300 miles from the nearest interstate and 700 miles from the nearest state border, I'm making up numbers here, and say that, you know, that's interstate commerce and Congress can regulate it. We're all living, you know what, we're all living, we're all willing, and society made a decision that it was willing to go along with that legal fiction in order to end Jim Crow. But let's acknowledge it for what it is and and recognize that build your own restaurant is not a response. No, it's not. It's not a response, right? Like we, we, we settled the debate about whether private companies had the right to do whatever they want and discriminate against whoever they wanted for whatever reason. We settled that debate in 1885, let alone 1964, right? That's, that's, not, that's not even a debate. And so uh, I don't, you know, I have no time for conservatives who simp for Jack Dorsey and Mark Zuckerberg uh, and, and let their own users get, you know, and are indifferent to the plight of the constituents of theirs who suddenly can't speak in public or can't, you know, aren't able to use Facebook to talk to their friends and family. It just ain't right. No, Will and I are still here. We thank you for joining us. Will, thank you for coming out of your 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 exile from live streaming and uh, congratulations on your upcoming nuptials. Nuptials. Thank you. Thank you very we, much. We love you. We, we, we love the future. Is she going to be Mrs. Chamberlain or is this, or just Mrs. Sandwich Maker? Or uh, she, she, will, she will be taking my name. So, yes, Miss she'll be the lovely Jordan, soon to That's be what, Jordan Chamberlain. Yeah. You see it this way because when she writes human events articles like Mrs. Coleman, everyone will know this is coming from the team. Yes. Yes, indeed. All right, buddy. Good to see you. Good to see you. So long, everybody. Thanks for tuning in. Hey, thank you for listening to the Coleman Nation podcast. Don't forget to subscribe on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcast app. If you like the show, please rate it five stars and leave a review. For more information, please visit the show's website at coleman-nation.com. That's coleman-nation.com. Or you can visit my blog at likelihoodofconfusion.com. Join us next time on the Coleman Nation podcast and have a great day.